Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Paige. I'm Matt Croger. I'm Alex Coos. I'm Jeremy Duvall. And I'm Steve Hildrew. I just wanted to do that a bit like Rob for enough because I miss Rob. Rob hasn't, I haven't recorded with Rob for ages and I think he's avoiding me. I think uh, yeah. he's intimidated by my, uh, by my gameplay frankly. Anyway. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Unlikely. Welcome to Countercharge. So this is our round three catch-up for Call to Arms. And we have a guest with us, Paige. Welcome back to the show. So Paige has been on the show before for our Countercharge Far East edition. It's nice to have you on the show because you were my opponent this round. Yes, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And especially thank you for getting up at three in the morning. So because we are now a global podcast, you might say uh, countercharge worldwide, where uh, we cover a number of time zones. So getting us all together is incredibly difficult. So Matt, bless him, gets up at five um, <laughs> to talk to us. Uh, Jeremy's on his lunch break. Uh, I'm in the evening and Alex is in the afternoon. But poor Paige has risen from his slumber at three o'clock in the morning just to recount how he uh, ripped me to shreds. Not to preempt, <laughs> to preempt. Oh, spoiler alert! About how he That's decimated right. me. Both Matt and I are living in tomorrow. That's right. You're in the yeah. future. What's it like in the future? Well, it's not very bright. Okay, so this is our round three uh, matchup. So um, who wants to go first? Well, why don't we get... We've got a couple of matchups on the cast today. So why don't we lead with uh, Alex Coos today? All right. Oh, yeah. Let him recount the story of his... Oh, no, I won't give it away. Yeah. No. So Alex has been hovering very near the top of the table and came up against uh, someone that I know particularly well, a uh, good friend, Mr. Tom Robinson. Alex. Yeah, so round three, I was on table one. Just a little uh, foreshadowing. May have flown a little too close to the sun. Spaced off against Tom Robinson in his League of Rordia. Uh, we, we were playing kill this round with uh, modified pillage tokens. So it's kind of like reverse pillage. So you win based on what you kill, but you get bonus points based on the objectives. Uh, I was using my undead still. I didn't. I had some thought to tailor the list to kill, but it had been doing kill fairly effectively up until now. So I didn't want to really mess with it too much. I removed one necromancer and added in a ghoul ghast for a little disrupting flying hero. Just kind of mix it up a little bit. Uh, Tom took lead of Rodia. Like I said, his list looked like a nicely balanced list at first glance, but it was quite uh, intimidating when you saw it on the table. He had a, a horde of knights with brew sharpness. He had a honor guard horde with caterpillar. He had a foot guard horde. He had dogs of war horde, and all of those had indomitable will. And then he had three organ guns. Three wizards, two on Pegasi, one on horse, one with the boomstick, one with Bane Chant. And then he had the Battle Shrine and two scout troops and a Baron on Ancient Erelez. So he had, a, with his three organ guns and all of his lightning bolt, he had a lot of shooting. He had two very large blocks of infantry, two really big hammers. And the wizards and scouts provide him with a lot of chaff. And then the duke is just annoying because you can't, you know, you can't ignore him. He's not a dragon, but he's still seven attacks on threes and very durable with radiance of life and iron resolve. So my list was same as always. Two hordes of whites, uh, two, two regiments of soul reaver infantry, three rev cab troops, a zombie horde, a white. Uh, Wraith Regiment, and then the Revenant King on Winged Worm, the Revenant King on Horse, a Necromancer with Inspiring Talisman, and the Ghoul Guest with Wings. There were two buildings 
on the right side of the table, just outside of Tom's deployment zone. He was on the bottom. And we had basically a grid of six objectives, roughly in each deployment zone, or just inside or just outside them. I deployed heavily to the left, mainly because Tom had put all three organ guns on the right. And then I wanted to face off against the non-organ gun side of his army, which was split up with a hill, and try to deal with that, which, surprise, did not work. Um, he had his dogs of war, foot guard, and honor guard on that flank, and then he had the knight horde on the right flank with the organ guns, with the wizards and battle shrine in the middle. And the ARLS was off on the far right flank. Initially, I tried to do something a little bit clever, or I thought it was clever at the time, with my Revenant King on my right flank to fly it up to the building, pivot it so that Aralaz was in my flank and the Night Horde was in my flank, which I succeeded at, but I miscalculated just by like a couple pixels and allowed two organ guns into the line, like to get, get line of sight on the Revenant King instead of just one, which ended up allowing Tom to get about 11 wounds on the Revenant King on turn one or turn two. Oof. Yeah. I was thinking maybe he'd get six or seven, but then the extra organ gun and a little bit above average luck, let him get 11 on him, which he didn't break it that turn, but it meant that I knew with all the lightning bolt he had that he would die the following turn, which was a bit of a kick in the pants. So like a little bit of a lesson come up. If you come up with a clever plan, but then it doesn't end up working out. Don't just force it. <laughs> I should have probably just not trying to go with, ahead with it. And like once I realized that the second organ gun was going to get line of sight, I should have probably shifted and tried to delay in a different way. But so this turn two, my Revenant King got one of the organ guns. The ghoul gas kind of flew up behind him, shielded by him, where I thought he'd kind of pick off organ guns one by one in the following turns. And then I moved up my whole left flank up or my whole right flank on the left side of the table up to try and put pressure on the honor guard and infantry hordes. He just kept backing them up, and then he successfully used his scouts to kind of delay me long enough so that his knight horde could come around, deal with my wraiths and zombies and revenant cav troop quickly, a little too quickly to my tastes, <laughs> which forced me to divert one of my Soul Reaver infantry to deal with that and a white horde eventually his lightning bolt was very effective like all game just kind of picking things off and like adding wounds took out the revenant king on worm turn two i think turn three or four he took out my necromancer and then kept on backing up his infantry so that i couldn't quite get a good charge on the foot guard or honor guard i didn't really want to charge his dogs of war with ensnare and phalanx so he is positioning things very effectively there. The ghoul ghast was actually very was a little bit of an MVP just because he survived and he, he having self-inspiring really helped because a couple of times Tom rolled to pop him on the first nerve check <laughs> and then he came back and unwavered it wasn't wa even wavered the second time so he ended up taking out an organ gun and grounding the RLS for like two or three turns in a row which kind of kept him out of the battle, luckily. But I gave... His Night Horde took out my Wraiths in one turn. I gave him a hindered charge, and I hoped maybe that I could get like a good roll there. I didn't get that. Took out the Zombies in one charge, and then I had to desperately throw a White Horde into them. And that didn't kill them, obviously. Then the Soul River Regiment cleaned them up, but then on the left, the Honor Guard and Foot Guard and... Uh, Dogs of War took out my other whites and other Soul Reaver infantry. So it's just kind of like he was able to control the engagements a little more effectively than I was. And on the final turn, on turn six, he uh, he wavered both of my Soul Reaver infantry. On the on the left, like it was a honor guard horde with the foot guard horde charged into them and only did like ten wounds and we ended up wavering them. Luckily for me which gave my other Soul Reaver as a flank opportunity. But earlier in the turn, he had done one damage with Lightning Bolt and rolled a double six to deny me that final 
turn seven flank charge to like scrape back a few points. <laughs> he took your dignity away from you on that last yeah. turn. Yeah, he really did. And then he like slyly moved his battle shrine just up a little bit to block line of sight from my gas to the injured honor guard horde, which may give me a Hail Mary chance to take them out as well. So it was just like I could see a potential for like a tie or at least a very close loss. And then it just like got snatched away. I think it ended up being like 22-7, I believe. But it, I think around turn four or five, all the things that needed to go my way went his way. And then the chance of a tie just kind of dissolved. Yeah, I came in around turn four and Matt was on as well. We were both looking at it and he'd kind of, he'd, he'd kind of formed kind of a wave and it was just like this circle around you and your kind of all your valuable units were left but you needed you needed really good dice to put it back because his positioning was just very very good, very did yeah. look painful. It, and it kind of looked like there's possible flank charges everywhere, but there was none. <laughs> you know, watching it, he was an absolute master of movement. You know, it's it was really good to to watch a little bit of him. I didn't see too much, but like you say, you know, just moving his battle shrine up an edge so you couldn't see that he just thought of everything really when he was when he was positioning his units yeah i really should have pushed earlier like on the left on my left or the left side of the table i should have pushed everything up a little sooner so that he would have had to engage with his scouts one turn sooner because i think giving him that one extra turn really negatively affected my ability to move and then gave him enough time to use his lightning bolt for one more turn before committing his wizards as chaff which he used very effectively on like turn five, I believe he just got them in the way of both um, Soul Reaver infantry just perfectly. Like they just slotted into like these tiny little spaces that were just enough. Um, and just like, I probably condensed my hitters a little too much. I should have spread out a little bit more into towards the middle and not, Early on, I made a big mistake with my one rev cap troop where I moved them into range of the volley guns because I thought I could get within 16 of them. But I had pivoted like 16 and a half inches away as opposed to 16. <laughs> so they were out of range of charging, in range of shooting, and then they had pivoted just far enough so that the wizards had a place to land on the hill to shoot at my rev king. So it was just like a really bonehead play on, right off the top, which really gave them a big advantage. But all, all in all, a really great game, a tight game. Tom's a great opponent, and now I'm back more where I belong in the standings. I, I don't know. You're not you're not that bad, to be fair. You're still sort of where you are. 26. Oh, 26. And Alex, did you try your usual tactic of trying to put him to sleep <laughs> no, during we, your turn? We actually played relatively quickly, although not that like – maybe relatively quickly for me. We or he? For me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Tom was uh he was a very kind, uh patient opponent. Which I appreciate. <laughs> but that that puts you on, on fifty six, which uh, puts you even equal with Stephen Pierce, Todd Serp goes there, Kyle Kozlinski's one below you, Matt Young's there, Dino Lord's uh one above you, Josh Rosado. So you know you've you you're you're in fine company, I think. So yeah, nothing to be uh, ashamed of, definitely. No. So I think I like I like the way the list has is performing. Even like the, the Ghoul Ghast was a nice addition. I find two Surge Casters was probably enough and was very handy in one turn to like kind of get me out of a bit of a jam with with his chaff. But yeah, I don't think there's going to be much changes going forward. I just I tried to like set it up so I would use a, the same army for the whole tournament just to kind of get a feel with it for it without making any major drastic changes i think i had the tools i just kind of my deployment was a bit off and tom was tom so you know <laughs> he's like twice uk master clash of kings champion he's, he's yeah so I, it was a very good game i learned a lot and uh it's gave me he gave me a good blueprint for my uh next next army league of rodia the <laughs> next next oh yeah we've covered that right i've heard that i yeah. uh, just listened to our um crossover episode yes so so all in all a really great game uh, i look forward to facing off against tom probably in a pickup game because i don't think we'll face off in an actual tournament but uh yeah a great uh, a great game
they can check it off. I've, I faced Adam Padley and uh, Tom Robinson now in Call the Arms games. So I've faced off against the last two UK Masters. <laughs> I've nice. lost both sides. But hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing to be ashamed of. Um, awesome. And then, and then we had our second counter charge off of the tournament. Right? Right? So we had oh, a, yeah, we did. I'll let Matt go first. Which was televised, national, international televised, uh, commentated match. So we're really rehashing, you know, what? Well, obviously everyone's seen it, right? Everyone in the whole world. But uh, go ahead. Dwarf Roger. on Dwarf on Rat. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you call like 220 people everyone in the whole world, but you know. <laughs> oh, am I going first? Are you still out in the dirt playing with Tom Annis? Jeremy, you know, uh, building new well, lists. Uh, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Technically, that is true that I did build a list, but you knew what my list was going to be. So the list that you made somewhat was designed to play kill and play me, true. correct, right? So that Not kill, just you. Okay, so I played a list that someone else made for me, and then you got to design your own list specifically tailored to beat my list that was designed by someone else. So I don't know who's, you know, the bad guy here, but... <laughs> You're both it's, bad guys. It, it's too. definitely Tom Annis. That's who the real. That's who the real bad guy is. <laughs> only top of the table, so he gets that title, right? But I will. I will add that during my game, Tom Annis, who was in first place, was like, "Don't let Tom Robinson get 23 points." He's like, "I don't want to have to face him in round four. He's like, "Make sure he doesn't get 23 points." So <laughs> you're welcome, Tom. I held him to 22. Mm. <laughs> Well, I actually friend requested Tom the other day on Facebook because I thought surely he's short a few. So, you know, after <laughs> writing all those lists. So, <laughs> uh, so Jeremy and I played, he played his Dirty Ratkin Slaves and I played some Free Dwarves. And as Steve said, if you want to check it out, you can go to the Dash 28 uh, YouTube channel and, and have a look there. It, I, I had a really fun game. Um, my list was uh, two regiments of free dwarf shield breakers, both with throwing mastiffs, ironclad, uh, four units of ironclad, all with throwing mastiffs, uh, two troops of dwarf rangers, three regiments of brock riders, one with boots of striding, one with caterpillar, and one with brewer sharpness, and two, uh, the striding and caterpillar ones had throwing axes. The two regiments of Mastiffs with Throwing Mastiffs, Free Dwarf Lord with Wings and the Aura of Iron Resolve, which I forgot all game. Uh, Free Dwarf Packmaster with an Inspiring Talisman and Mastiff Munchberries. And a Dwarf Standard Bearer with Loot of Insatiable Darkness. Um, so as Jeremy said, I, I kind of knew, I knew it was playing Ratkin Slaves and I had a loose idea. I, I didn't go back and look at what the list was that Tom had played, but I just knew that there was lots of breath coming and I knew there were lots of slaves. So I, I just tried to build something that had a lot of drops and maybe the Mastiffs would, the Free Dwarfs, I think overall are a slightly better list than the Imperial Dwarfs. And um, so I decided to run with them. They've got slightly less shooting options though uh, in terms of artillery. So I thought, oh, well, I'll give Mass Mastiffs uh, a run. And I, I said it on the cast, but probably I, I was pretty intimidated by Jeremy's list, um, especially when I pro probably saw it. It was worse than I thought. I, I guess my, my goal going in was what was my first goal was to try not to lose. So uh, I wasn't necessarily going hard for the, for the win first off. And I, I honestly think like dwarves do have a bit of a problem with going through things. So they're going to play that grind game a little bit better anyway. I mean, it seems a bit silly to recount it in super detail given that it's somewhere else, but we, uh, basically it ended up with two, two main bits of the board. There was kind of middle to right flank where most, both of us quite heavily deployed. And then, uh, Jeremy deployed on his right flank, my left, uh, his three unit of berserkers that he'll tell you about. Um, with his, what's the character called, Jeremy? Overmaster? Overmaster, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I had them facing off with one of my Brock units, um, some Mastiffs and, uh, and my Rangers. I guess the thing for me is my, the, the pot shooting from the Rangers was amazing all game. So it, it really kept me in the game. The Mastiffs were a, a little bit 
underwhelming. I, I certainly haven't written a list. I've been writing a lot of lists since, but I certainly haven't written a list that has that many masters since. They, um, on reflection, they were definitely a little bit underwhelming to me. Watching it back on video is really great because I think you, you always have your biases of what you think happened and being able to look back and, and see your mistakes. Um, is really amazing and um, what the Dash 28 guys are doing with the um, with the commentating I think is great too. It actually makes it more interesting to watch. I've been loving watching all of that. But essentially, you know, as you'd imagine with the with the style of lists, we just kind of went back and forth and I tried to feed Jeremy as few units as I could at a time to stay in the game while I gradually pot shot away. And then the idea was for my for my Brocks to do a little, little bit of heavy lifting towards the end if they could, <clears throat> um, which they, they ended up doing. A couple of big mistakes for me was, yeah, forgetting the Iron Resolve aura, and I didn't use my king appropriately to probably keep him in the backfield and buy me a bit more time. Yeah, I mean, we went we went back and forth, really. I got lucky a couple of times with, with some good overrolls in, in, in key moments, and Jeremy got not so lucky. But I was I was pretty happy with how the game went. I guess it's kind of it's calling it early. We ended up pl- playing a draw or a winning draw to Jeremy based on objectives, which I think after everyone's talked, we should probably circle back and talk about scenario. Would be a good idea. But yeah, I mean, I had Jeremy's obviously great to play. You know, even even if he was all dirty, he he told me he he'd freshened up. He'd had a shower before the game, so you know, and made himself pretty for me. So it was it was all good. He was a little less dirty than I expected. Yeah, so um, as Matt said, I'll, I'll go over my list. This is uh, the list that sort of Tom had come up with. Um, I had four slave wretch hordes, all with last breath, two regiments of black souls, uh, three abyssal berserker regiments, three hordes of decimators, two slave drivers, and then the overmaster. So pretty much standard uh, way on how you would you would play this army, which is are one of the ways when you're thinking about archetypes. You know, get behind the slaves, basically, have them move forward, shoot it over them with decimators, put your abyssal berserkers on a flank in some terrain or some obstacles because the overmaster gives them strider. Um, so a couple things I thought were interesting. Um, this whole experiment of having the audience vote on my armies has been a really interesting uh, experiment and definitely feel like it's one step back, two steps forward. Like I think I would in the actual game, I don't feel as comfortable or as prepared as I normally would obviously playing an army that, you know, but in the end, I think it will make me a better player having gone through playing all these different armies and having to kind of, you know, one and done type thing. So I think it's in the long run, it's good, but in the short term, definitely make some, some, um, Mistakes are, are, are some stuff that uh, not necessarily used to making. I think for me, um, I hadn't, I did not deploy very well on my left side, which was the, I put my berserkers in terrain across from the Brocks. And my original idea was, well, I'll just put him here. I'll move up my middle and my, uh, left with all of my slave wretches and decimators. And then basically like, let me force him to have to come in with Brox because each turn that he keeps the Brox back, not doing anything I felt was like a win for me. And what had gotten kind of in the way of that strategy is I had was positioning and he had some really, really great shooting with his uh, Rangers and some of his other four plus shooting that put some damage on me. And you know, when you play an army a lot, you sort of know how it stress how to stress test it you know what it can do and what it can't do and i definitely felt that i was forced whether or not it was correct or not correct all my stuff on the left side started to take damage so i had to i felt like i had to engage him just in not knowing really how the army works my army is like what can it lose what can it survive not really having those repetitions i chose to try to be once i took some damage from him and shooting to be more aggressive and i got he gave me a front charge with berserkers into his brocks with sharpness because I he had put them sort of like behind a terrain piece, but I could still draw a line of sight. And I went in there knowing that, okay, I probably won't kill them, but I at least do some damage. And then the next turn I would be charging with my overmaster who's a beast. And by that point, I knew that a round of berserkers 
plus a round of Overmaster and very unlikely that they countercharge and kill the Overmaster at defense six. I'll have two rounds of Overmaster combat and one round of Berserker combat against the Brocks. I felt like, oh, you know, I could probably win that grind. So I chose to kind of give him my other bro, um, uh, uh, give him a charge on my other Brocks with his other, or sorry, on my other Berserkers with his other Brocks, knowing that they'll probably die, but I should be able to take out the other unit and then the the Brocks that killed my um I had like an abyssal berserker regimen in the trees. Once he killed those, he turned towards the middle and I had a I had a decimator horde on a hill. So I felt like, okay, well even if he kills those, I'll be able to do some shooting. So I think that I definitely played a little I went from like defensive into aggressive mode on that side, just feeling pressure from his damage. Um and I think that Dice wise, uh, he killed my one berserker horde, which in the beginning, I didn't think, uh, in looking at it, I was like, well, they'll probably live. But after we talked about it, I was like, okay, yeah, though, no, they should have died. But he did, he was able to waver my overmaster, um, with the other Brocks that had sharpness. And so then that means the second time he charged them, he had his, his thunderous charge again. So that was a, a tough, and then in that he killed the overmaster, and then he had that unit at the end of the game. So really, it's the point difference of adding up the Brocks and the overmaster is a pretty big points difference. So that was tough, but I didn't really know what to do with that side. Um, th- this type of list is so different from what I'm used to. I think that if I was to play this list again, I'd probably drop the berserkers and pick up some sort of speed element because I really had nothing to do, nothing, not a lot to do to prevent his Brocks doing what they want. Uh, Other than maybe I should have put a a horde of slaves on that side and then just put everything behind the slaves. And that probably goes again back to not being familiar with the army. I I don't think I deployed as well as I could have. I, I probably should have just put everything behind the slave wretches and just moved up like that and not tried to put anything on a flank. So that was sort of a, a kind of a key aspect on that other side. Um, the middle and right flank went relatively well. Um, he did forget to use his iron resolve and I actually like felt bad about that. Normally I'll try to remind my opponents if they're forgetting something, but I was so focused on remembering what my army did, let alone trying to remind uh, him of his something i just didn't have the like the throughput mentally and i think the other thing that probably i did not do well i set up with uh, in in deployment of like this is kill so let me think about kill and then immediately because of the of the the scenario which was kill but with pillage objectives and because i'm so used to playing pillage and not at all used to playing kill i immediately played the whole game as if i was playing pillage and not at all thinking about kill really and that, again, was just like kind of we talked about the scenario and I'm curious to hear what you guys think once we go through all the games. But my mental muscle memory was not at all sort of like used to playing kill. I'm 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 kind of of the, the Jeff Trace mindset of win the objective, win the objective, you know, capture the points. It doesn't matter what you lose, you know, have stuff die, have stuff die, have stuff die. So that kill in general is not a scenario that I ever really cared for personally, but it came down pretty close. I mean, I feel even though that Matt made a couple of those mistakes, he was still in a really, really great position to win. And at the very end of the game, I had decimators go into the king with wings and I was able to kill him, which basically that brought us to a draw. Um, But I was really happy to play Matt. You know, we had a really fun time. It was a really close game. I think that I don't know how he feels, but I'm actually excited to play him again with an army that I know just so that we can have like a cleaner game. Because I think both of us made some mistakes having playing with stuff that was new to us. Um, But super fun game. Um, I'm happy with how I'm doing so far. You know, that put me at a one win, one loss, one winning draw, having played three separate armies chosen by the audience. So I don't know where I think I might be maybe in the the middle or middle towards bottom going into round four, but I'm still pretty happy with how all my games have been really close. Um, yeah, but solid game. So you are currently 71st and Matt is 76th and you're only two points away from each other. I'm still bottom of the counter charge pile. <laughs> no, not that far. We're all... Well, you're down under. You are from down under, so... Well... So, yeah, someone needs to be the shoulders you guys stand on. That's so. right. My favorite thing about watching it 
apart from constantly, obviously, <laughs> shit-talking you in the comments, was uh, how many times the, uh, the commentators went, why is he? why has he done that? Well, I'm, I don't know. Why has he done that? Do, do you know why he's done that? I'm not really sure why he's done that. It was great. I was there keeping count. There is one where I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's it, it was really great. Like, I watched it back, I think, even that day. Yeah, and I, I, I thought it was great watching back. It, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because when you're not in the mind of the person doing it, I mean, they, well, you assume they have some sort of plan, but I don't always. <laughs> um, but yeah, when someone else is, you're just not going to see their plan sometimes. And it's also funny looking at like when you know what you know about your own list, what they see and and what they don't see. So it, it was good fun to watch, that's for sure. It's also really interesting, Jeremy, because what you were saying about uh, the scenario, the Ratkin slave list you were playing is a sacrifice list. It's a list where you sacrifice stuff in order to kill stuff. And that is not good for kill because yeah, no, you, it have, would, you have to give stuff up. It would not have been a list. like it, That's another element to sort of the UB that I've been uh, trying to kind of not feed into, I guess, as much as you know what the scenario is going to be and building the army specifically to that scenario. I'm trying to, in my first few games, take a version of the list that I would make in real life. Uh, based on model choices or whatever and then this list i just took what tom uh made as like a funny thing you know i'll play tom's army but like you said exactly the whole idea of the ratkin slaves is to you kill all my stuff and at the end of the game i have two decimator hordes left but they're on the objectives that you can't come near because i'll shoot you off you know so it is you're exactly right not a list you know precisely designed to be great and kill but um, yeah, but still fun, still fun to, to play. I mean, decimators are ridiculous, man. Too, they just do so much damage. But and speaking of not having a plan, uh, let's move on to my match with Paige. So, all right, I uh, I think we need to keep account of the amount of excuses that I come up with uh, during <laughs> during this recounting of the match. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, so I'll, I'll quickly talk about the list that I took. So, um. I'm sure that the entire Countercharge audience has had time to listen to the, what, seven and a half hour Ratkin review that we did. Thanks a lot, Nick McLennan. But um, as a bit of background, obviously, I'm a Ratkin player. And uh, the Ratkin review was really interesting. Actually, really, really good review. Very, very good. At, I, I sent in a question, something along the lines of, what's the point of nightmares? And the entire cast kind of went, well, we're not really sure. They're not very good. And then right at the end of that uh, review, Michael Piercy, who is, apart from possessing a voice of pure honey, my hero, um, said, hey, Steve Hildreau, I've got a list that I think you should play. And he came up with this list that was like, it's three hordes of warriors and then 12 regiments of nightmares. And he said, look, it's a hundred and something shots. That's a good list. And everyone was like, yeah, that is a good list. And so I took this challenge uh, and, and decided to play that list in my next match. Unfortunately, I was, or fortunately, because he's a lovely man, he's also here. I was matched up against one of the best players in the world who has won Call to Arms in the past, which is Paige, right? <laughs> so, right. Remind me to pass him some uh, under the table money after this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Mike, he's no longer <laughs> my favorite person, Michael Pitt. He's off my hero list. Um, so, this was the list that I played. So, it's a nearly all nightmares list because actually the principles of the list seem quite good. So, I, I tested this just a couple of times. I played two or three games with other people and it had done okay, right? So it had done all right. But reflecting on that, I'd played against Goblins and Trident Realm who aren't known for like lots of high defense and speed. So my list, it was a, a couple of regiments of warriors, a couple of hordes of warriors, Rackin' Warriors, um, all with plague pots. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine regiments of nightmares. So nightmares are like the shooting, they're defense five, shooting, they've got nine attacks, uh, and they've got a 12-inch blight cannon, 11-13. Right, so with Rally, they end up 13-15. So that's actually pretty good. A 13-15 regiment, unit strength 2, that shoots and hits with crush 1 is not bad. So this is And vicious as well. So pretty good. Two brute enforcers, one with inspiring, one with loot, uh, tangle, and then Mother Kreiser. So that, that was my list. Um, and then I came to the board, and Paige sent me his list, which is his Green Lady list, which we'll go over in a minute, which is very fast, very alpha strike, <laughs> Uh, it's all speed eight above, apart from like one unit of Earth Elementals. It's it's very 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 punchy. And then I recalled in my mind because I've never I've never played Kill. I think I played it once at um, Clash of Kings, mm-hmm. uh, and I played uh, a Night Stalker Night Stalker build. So I, and all I can remember was Elliot Morris saying somewhere the correct way to play Kill 
is you castle in the corner, you let them come onto you, and then you hit them. So I'm like, cool, that's what I'm going to do. And the way the board was set up, there was it was pretty like a mirror terrain. So there's like a forest on each side and an impassable on each side. And I set up behind the forest because in my head, I'm thinking that's a great idea because then when he attacks me with his stuff, which by the way, nearly all had Pathfinder, um, he'll hit my like plague potted warriors and he'll bounce off and then I can shoot him to death. Forgetting that you have to shoot into terrain, which means you're hitting on five. So your nine attacks are suddenly terrible. And then even worse, and, 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 but it was a hill also. It was a hill and a forest next to it. So I thought, what I'm going to do first turn, get some warriors up onto a hill, pop the plague pots, get nightmares behind them, and I can shoot off the hill for the rest of the rest of the game. And then page one first turn, like mm-hmm. everything came forward like 10 inches. And I thought I was pretty smart in deployment because he started to deploy right across the board because he's thinking, I think, oh, I'm playing rats. They're going to try and swamp the board. And I just plonked everything into one corner. Uh, but everything so fast, he could redeploy really quickly. And I was very much on the back foot. Yeah. And it just it, it felt like nothing I did kind of really worked. Oh, none of my Bane chants came off. He regenerated all the damage. It was horrible. Uh, but I mean, obviously, loads of fun. Great, brilliant game. But yeah, what a, a masterclass in movement and how to pin people down, definitely from Paige. Uh, how how was it for you, Paige? Uh, bear in mind, we also played at, in Paige. So I started at 11. Sorry, I'm just racking up the excuses, remember. So I started at 11 p.m. and we finished at 20 past two, uh, at which point I was like, I'm going to bed. Goodbye. Uh, Paige, how, how was it for you, mate? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about you guys, but I think UB games for me it would usually take about three to three and a half hours. I don't know if that's normal or it's because I'm usually not a very fast player. How how's the timing like for you guys? Um, I'm usually like one and a half to two and a half, depending on the points level. Although, like at a wow. smaller points level, the other day I played two in two hours. <laughs> I guess it depends, but that's me, right? And I'm I'm at seventy six. <laughs> I'm closer to you, Paige. I think like I'm more of like a three, mm. three, three and a half kind of. Yeah, uh, the the difficult thing about UB is to get the exact positioning because you you like turn twenty degrees and you move up and you realize that's not where you want to be and then you gotta undo it twice and then you turn one degree more and you move up and that's not where you want to be and then you undo again. So that's what's taking the most time for me when I'm playing UB. And well, getting to my list, I've been playing Order of the Green Lady for a while now, since the start of this uh, Total Arms. And it's almost the same list uh, from um, round one to round two. I just changed a five point item and round two to round three is the same list. So I took um, Man at Arm Horde, Order of the Brotherhood with Banner of the Green Lady, Order of Redemption with Brew of Strengths. Uh, one regiment of water elementals, one horde of water elementals, one horde of earth elementals, one horde of order of the forsaken with Jesse's boots, two beasts of nature with wings and seven attacks, two pegasus, a druid with bane chants and surge, and a unicorn with blade of slashing. And straight off the bat, uh, well, Two of the things that I like the most is the unicorn with blade of slashing. I and... hate that unicorn. I hate <laughs> it. It took four turns to kill it with three separate regiments. Four turns. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, the other unit that I really love is the order of the redemption with brew of strength, because it can really grind very well with the regeneration. Uh, regeneration five plus is not fantastic if people have been playing regenerating units before but once you get to regenerate over two rounds it starts to add up especially when the opponent runs out of steam and momentum to deal more damage to uh, such an elite unit and it starts to heal back its wounds and then it becomes unkillable near the end of the game and that has uh, helped me win several games one of the challenges of order of green lady is the unlocks because Cavalry regiments only unlock one unit. And Order of the Redemption and Order of the Forsaken, they're all not unlocking. For the game, yeah, so Steve castled in the corner. The objectives were placed scattered around the board, like one in each uh, two by two square. But as we start to deploy, he started to castle in one corner. And the other side, at least, I only had a Pegasus, so it could redeploy pretty quickly to come back towards the other side that he has deployed on. 
And on hindsight, I chose the table side and I think I chose the wrong side. But he chose the wrong corner to deploy on as well. After the game is over, we sort of reviewed it. So he chose the side with a hill and a forest. And most of my units have Pathfinder, which is something that I like about Order of the Green Lady. So it didn't help him a lot. So he should have deployed on the other corner, which has the obstruction and two obstacles. So that would have hindered me, and the obstruction would block some of the flank charges because he has a lot of nightmare regiments. So thankfully, I won first turn. He moved up his uh, forces, and he popped the pots on the two hordes of warriors. I saw that I could charge into the two regiments of warriors that he hasn't popped the pots on. So I managed to kill those two regiments while yeah, I... killed them both. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one was killed by the Order of the Redemption but charging into a forest. And the other one was killed by a Pegasus and a Beast of Nature combined. So I think that was a bit lucky on the dice there. While I still managed to charge the two hordes, with other forces because most of the list is pretty fast the only slow ones are the druid the earth elementals and the men at arms and yeah so from there it's about picking charges that were relatively safe and the nightmares are surprisingly hard to kill because i think they're 13 15 defense 5 with the rally 2 right and they do have a tang tango that can give the fury aura so one of the Cool things is the a unicorn charged into a nightmare regiment and eventually killed it on its own. Yeah, and the the unicorn was all the way on the corner of the board, so it was difficult for Steve to get more than one unit to charge the unicorn back. Yeah, so eventually it ground ground out, and there were a few unlucky dice for Steve. I think one was the Mother Chrysler not killing the Beast of Nature, although he got a flank and subsequently a front charge. <sighs> yes, yeah. you sound you sound ten wounds. I just, nothing seemed to go apart from the fact that I, I deployed poorly. I I don't like to blame it on luck mainly because, as you know, I can't count. Um, and uh, I don't. <laughs> I know part of the reason I think. Uh, I don't know. Paige, do you play on clocks at all ever in your tournaments and stuff over there? Um, not recently because mm. our communities, our local communities, sort of slowed, sort of uh, died down a little bit towards the end of second edition and it's starting to pick up again in third edition so the first tournament we had we didn't want to stress everybody out especially when they just came back into the game so we did not play on clock yeah it's quite fun because if you watch uh page's videos which are excellent and actually his mm. his recent one um with jeff trace they went through an explanation of kind of averages and stuff uh when nick posted his pictures about what averages mean Mm -hmm. And then Paige kind of he he tracks when his dice go well and don't go and, and and all the way through it. So he's kind of like a maths wizard, which is hilarious because as everybody knows, I am the opposite <laughs> of a maths wizard. So <laughs> Paige is there. He calculates everything. I can hear him in the background going, "So if I charge that one, it's seven point two damage on average, which is a, a six twice, which is an eighty six percent chance of getting." And I'm there taking off my socks, having to count on my toes because I'm like counting above ten is hard for me. And I'm like, "Yeah, this charge will probably be fine." Oh, bounce! So I wonder why. So I have a thirty-seven percent chance of a success like that. So he's calculating every single odds for every single thing. So I'm saying I put my regiments into the forest, and I'm like, "There's no way a single knight regiment charging those are going to kill them." And he's like, "Yes, seventy-three percent chance of killing them." Oh, look, they've died. And I'm like, "This is why I'm losing so badly." So yeah, he was very mathematical, very precise, um, and not popping play pots on those guys on the first time was stupid. And yeah, he picked me apart. It was a uh, it was really, it was quite fun. Uh, very good list. I think Green Lady is a really underrated list. I, you know, people don't don't realize how many elements it can bring to the battle that are really strong. It is kind of a glass hammer in some ways, but if you can get that regen going, and water elementals are really really strong and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, it, yeah. it was it was fun. In fairness to you, Steve, I think Page is uh, for Page numbers is also his life. Is that right, Page? <laughs> <laughs> I am Asian though. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm married to an accountant. She's that's that's, that's, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just envisioning a little bit of a training montage for Steve uh, doing math problems for the next two weeks before the next round. He's just like a little uh, beautiful mind, like floating equations. <laughs> exactly. 
thing. And I thought, right, so if I charge now, it's to, no, I can't count. I can't, I don't know. I'm just going to charge anyway. Who cares? Yeah. So the, the nightmare, build. so the nightmare build, I think I want to talk about a little bit because mm. I think my pissy had a good, had a good point. And I think nightmare regiments are actually a lot stronger than the hordes. Then 140 points for that. I think they're great. Don't take nine of them. Because I think they're really, <laughs> they're really good against low defense armies like Trident Realm. They will absolutely decimate um, unless you bought loads of placoderms. But if you have a defense five armor you're facing, they struggle hard. You need other elements to make them work. So my current build still got nightmares in it, but significantly less than nine. Um, yeah, because after I charged the warriors, right, half of your nightmares would charge into combat, and the other half would be shooting. So if you replace that half that charges into combat without ever getting to shoot with something that fights better it it would round out the list a bit better yeah i think four to six is kind of like if you're going to take a bunch of them i think i think you probably top out at six for max effectiveness also seems a lot and then i have to model them as well so thankfully i had printed out like oh i'll just do some bases this seems like a build that's going to work they're in the bin but uh, i think i've got three in my current build that go behind some hack paws because i think once the hack paws die as they do having some quite tough guys to either shoot or or fight uh, it seems like a smart move yeah another thing is that the large infantry regiments they are quite the footprint is quite longish so it's sometimes a bit hard to maneuver and protect the all sides of the units. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to consider. Yeah. But I think they're a nice option. I think with rats, the these days weapons teams are kind of hard to fit into the list. So without sacrificing a lot of other mm-hmm. things, so I think having nightmares is an option to have unit strength and shooting and a little bit of punch. And like you're saying, thirteen fifteen when you're rallied is pretty durable. Right, and so in an objective-based game, actually, it's it's a very different story because you can spread out a little more, and their unit strength too, um, yeah. and they're hundred forty points, and you've got a ton of unit strength to just spread around the board, and they're so annoying to kill that you actually, especially if you've got um, uh, brute enforcers in there as well for another couple of unit strength and mother Kreiser or a brood mother, it's just mm-hmm. an annoying amount of unit strength to kill, so uh, not that great. Um, so Paige, that puts you at eleventh um, with sixty-three. So t- uh, just a for a bit of table con- uh, um, context, right. Tom Annis is 73. He's joint top with with Stephen Devonish. Mm. Um, and Paige is there at 63. So you've got 10 points less than the leaders. Uh, just just one out of the top 10 there. Yeah, uh, for this scenario, because the main objective is kill, right? And then because you castled in the corner, so and the game ended on turn 6, so I was only able to get the two objectives nearest to your corner and if it continued to turn seven maybe i would have gotten one more that's about it oh yeah turn seven you would have tabled me as well worth saying uh, so <laughs> i'm glad we didn't get a turn seven because uh, my pride was already in tatters yeah so while while we're on that probably a good time to talk about the scenario right right and um Jeremy not, might not be able to chime in. I think he's had to go back to work. But do you want to start, Paige? So I guess the theory being that there was a little bit of talk from um, Elliot beforehand that one of the reasons they wanted to run it was to get some data, knowing that it wouldn't be perfect. And uh, what do we think of the scenario, uh, scenario the, the addition of the objectives and, and um, kill as a scenario as a whole? Do you want to start, Paige? Sure. Um, I think... In general, for tabletop games and for Kings of War as well, there's usually three main archetypes, which is the Alpha Strike, the Attrition, and the Shooting List. And when you play a scenario like Kill, which is basically no scenario, the the shooting archetype just gets a little bit too strong. Because basically, if you're the army with the superior shooting, you should be the one waiting for the opponent to come to you and just get off as many shots as you can because you don't have to contest for objectives. So, well, the objectives are for secondary scoring. So, first and foremost, you still have to win the kill and getting the objective score is secondary. So, even if you score less on on the tournament points, I always play on the from the mindset that Okay, if I win every opponent, I'll win the tournament anyway. So 
So scoring those tournament points is to me secondary. So in the end, it's still kill. And because it's kill, like what Steve did, he could castle in a corner, and then I couldn't score the the secondary objectives points as easily because I need to have. I don't want to hang a Pegasus back to score an objective, and then because some dice didn't go my way, and I I start to lose units, and I wish my Pegasus would have been there. So I just pushed all my forces into the battle. Do you think that the addition of the pillage tokens changed the scenario at all? I mean, because that essentially was the idea a little bit was how to make kill maybe slightly better. Do you think? Do you think the tokens do? I I don't. If people are familiar with the scenario and understand that it's still primarily kill, I don't think it will change the way people play it as much. But it will probably change how much people score at the end, especially for the winners, because because they. They have to think about killing the opponents while scoring the objectives are secondary. So people will play the same, but I think generally people will score less because yeah. of the secondaries. Yeah, I think it's it'll be harder to get max points because of the, there there are six other objectives that you have to take. But I'm like of a of a similar mind. Like you have to win the scenario first before the secondary objectives matter too much. And in a tournament where you can tailor your list each round, I don't think kill is a is a great balancing tool because I think in a tournament where everyone has to build an all comers list that has to do pillage, it has to do, you know, loot or raise or control and kill, like that throws a bit of a wrench into some army's plans. Like if like if a horde army that will like dominate in you know, control or and or invade or something like that will have a hard time on kill. But with the addition, with the ability to just take whatever list you want, it's a little bit weird uh, in this in the context of a tournament. I think. Yeah. It's like, I think some armies, like Paige is saying, like you could just castle, or you can have an alpha strike or a shooting list in kill to like take advantage of the kill scenario, but you could also take a shooting list that is skewed to capturing objectives you know, for this one. Like, cause you can like do, with the risk of not having to play invade or control or something like that. Right. And I, I didn't see, I mean, apart from Jeremy having seen the way everyone played this just as kill. And then at the end, you're like, right. How many objectives can I jump on? Right. So that it was, people were still playing it just as pure kill. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I saw, I saw Tom and as for someone mentioned that like not many people got full points out of like this round. People were just focusing mainly on killing and then treating the secondary objective second secondarily, or it was just creating situations like Paige was talking about where like they just couldn't get to the rest because they had to focus on killing the other army. Yeah, but like like Paige said, if you're playing the objective game, the objective is the kill, right? Yeah, and and yeah, the, the pillage tokens are simply just to get those few extra points. So when it comes down to it, you need to win first. Otherwise, the otherwise the tokens are essentially worthless. I mean, you you never if you're in a losing position, you're very unlikely in kill. You're very unlikely to kind of get more tokens anyway, right? So I think yeah. you're unlikely to then spread out further just to conserve a couple of points. Um, yeah, if you're losing kill, you're losing units, right? So you're not going to be able to hold. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, and this is this is nothing saying about what they tried to do either, because I think you know it's it's a good thing to try and do to make it a little bit better. But I mean, I'm someone that's personally not usually minded playing kill, but I think, like you say, Alex, in the context of a normal tournament, tournament, it's actually far better than it would be in this tournament, because yeah, I mean, you might get the the one chance that you get that skew list that someone's played all tournament, but in, in general, you'll come up against more balanced things. Yeah. I think I remember last, last year with my, you know, 34 unit strength rats having to play kill round three against John Vanoss's empire of dust was like, Oh, this sucks. <laughs> Cause it's just like, you know, a swarm list just couldn't, I, I couldn't bring enough force to bear. And I think that's where the real value of kill comes up in a tournament where you're like, 
you have skew lists and then kills kind of like this weird skew scenario that kind of like just makes it harder for certain builds, which I think is kind of what scenarios should do. Right. I think um, last year when in Clash of Kings they reintroduced kill was because there was a bit of a trash, spam trash meta coming up where people would spam a lot of cheap units with tons of unit strength. So they can't fight, but they have too much unit strength on the board that they hold the objectives really well. But I think in this edition, it kind of got balanced out because unit strength is a separate stat now and the cheap units tend to have lower unit strength, like the red slaves or uh, what do you call them now? Wretches? Yeah. So the hordes are unit strength 3, while the regiment is unit strength 2. So those cheap units have a one-point drop in unit strength. So that kind of, I think that really balances out. I haven't seen a lot of this uh, trash spam in version 3 of this game. Yeah, I think with a lot of the horde lists, like unit strength is way down. Like you don't have 60-point unit strength 3 units anymore, or unit strength 2 units relative uh anymore so it makes a big difference right even jeff trish and he in his round three he was playing against dan king and he is usually a very objective based player and you lose on attrition and still get to win on objectives but because this scenario is kill he sort of changed his list uh construction totally and i I did it's a streamed on dash 28 i didn't watch the whole game i just caught glimpses of it but basically, he ran Abyssal Duos with lots of defense 6 in the Golems, uh, weakness to lower people's pain, uh, crushing strength, and basically shooting with the, what do you call them, the the heavy motors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you just castle in the corner, shoot until they come to you, right? And then he put all his Golems in the forest, so things will be charging in hindered. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, though, I thought that his standard style list would have performed just as well, if not better, in that in that matchup. Because I think there's still something to say in terms something for that, um, you know, high amount of drops, high unit strength. Well, high amount of drops, not necessarily unit strength in kill, because you you can you are more likely to get the charges you want. But you're right, Paige. The difference is probably the shooting in that list, and was probably the difference in mine and Jeremy's game. You know that allowed me to be anywhere near a draw was having longer range shooting means you're you're popping off stuff before it even gets to you, which then potentially gives you a bit of an edge when it comes to the combats. Well, that's right. like in my game against Tom, like his lightning bolt, like his organ guns affected my deployment, but his lightning bolt having li- lightning bolt eighteen is just like is like just enough to be like a problem throughout the course of a game to like force force issues and pick up units at the end makes a really big difference in kill especially yeah it didn't help that dan king took an all stealthy list against him as well that was a great match to watch and um, really really fascinating to see these guys kind of uh pitch off against each other i just wish it was because they're both really objective dan's more of an aggressive kind of kill type gamer he tends to smash and then take the objectives later whereas jeff is all about the objectives but really fascinating to watch them to pair off against each other uh, there were some that what from the games they streamed over this what has it been fortnight? It feels like forever ago <laughs> already. Mine and Jeremy's game. Um, I think there were some cracking games to watch, and the and the commentary makes all the difference. But th- that game in particular was just yeah. I you know I just sat it well. I was taking cheap shots at John for the whole time yeah, <laughs> in the comments, but That's part <laughs> I was of the watching fun. the game as well. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love live comments. <laughs> I think half the fun is just sitting criticizing the haircuts of the people on the cast. I mean, that's that's what we're there for, right? Exactly. The two naughty boys wade in and <laughs> ruin everyone's lives and self-esteem. So let's see. So we. So I think Alex is going to have um, Alex, both Alex and Paige, uh, within the top kind of third. Paige is significantly higher because um, I let him win. And then we scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. I am down at 60-something. I'm in the wrong page. That's why I can't find it. Ha! There we go. <laughs> uh, I'm at 62. And oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to have you by the end. Hildred. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, you're um, Jeremy's at 71 and you're at 76. Within that bracket, by the yeah. way, it's not an easy bracket. You've got you've got Matt Gorham, who's an exceptional player. Adam Padley's there. Um, Chris Fisher's there. 
you know, there are some Nathan Clevenger, there's some Tyler Schultz, there's some decent players within that bracket. Sure. Sharks in the water. Some guy called the professor. The professor who got a twenty-five, <laughs> by the way, last last. Uh, yeah. And Shazunk. Shazunk. Whoever that is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. See who's in. Who's around? Kind of my bit again. Dan King, because he got a draw, is still worryingly close to where I am. Uh, not. Not. And Mike Settlemark. Yeah, Mark. He Mark. was on. He was top table at the end of Masters, wasn't he? Round six. Yeah. And consistent. Universal Battle. He consistently places high in call to arms as well. Keith Conroy, Jay Rosado. You know, it's because people are testing out lists, I guess. You know, that I think people are just having some people are taking it really seriously and, and going to win, <coughs> Thomas. But some people are kind of uh, playing around with it. Alex <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a theme list, Matt. It's a theme list. <laughs> <laughs> the theme is winning. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, interesting to see what comes up with uh, round four. Though people are getting a little bit more slack ass about their games now, so we're, as people come out, of yeah, lockdown, well, we're going to see a longer, longer round times. I think. Correct. There's still a few more games to go, and I think uh, just a few days ago, uh, Keith Randall messaged me on the on a group chat and said, "Oh, I thought I'll be paired against Paige, and I've been reading up all his, watching all his battle reports to get ready." And then as more games came in, we are no longer uh, next to each other in terms of the placings. <laughs> and he yeah. said, all that wasted, all that effort wasted. Yeah. But I said, he yeah, enjoyed it and subscribed anyway. And I said, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, Bring a calculator, for, Keith. It's my advice. For a moment there, uh, after Dark Stalwart, Rashad and I were paired, we were like 23rd, 24th for like a couple of days. And now I think there's someone jumped in the middle or something's messed up with that. So we'll see it is interesting though like like you say isn't it though that like initially it was like the the games were all done within five days yeah <laughs> and now we're really pushing the edges of two weeks uh, um on your channel page i think you know congrats on your channel i really enjoy your battle reports and i love that mechanic of looking at you know maybe where the swings are in the dice and adding right. that up across the game i think you know it is a dice game, so in the end, it doesn't really matter. But I think it's really nice to ha- to have a look at that, and you can go, "Oh, did that influence the result at all?" Yeah, mm. I, I don't know about UB dice. I think in real life, dice also can get kind of swingy. Just that when it swings in universal battle, people will say, "Yep, it's a software. I don't trust software." <laughs> So, it's because you can see it a lot more clearly, can't you? You can actually, there's 12 ones. This is outrageous. <laughs> yeah, you're not picking them up. and Yeah. Well, my best role in real life, I was playing uh, this uh, Warhammer 8th edition, and I rolled six dice on a, to cast a comet, and I rolled six ones. <laughs> that was my best role in my uh, entire life. <laughs> I think there was a, a shock troop horde that did four four wounds Bane chanted in the last in the last live <laughs> tournament that we had. I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> oh, sorry. Hmm. So, do we know actually how many games are left? So, at the top, so I mean, we did rankings before. So, at the end of round three, we've got well, not at the end, almost at the end. Tom Annis uh, and Stephen Devonish should one and two, and then Tom Robinson. So it's a Tom off near the top, mm-hmm. um, and then Brendley Smith, Ben Johnson. Lewis Serra? Where's Lewis from? Bain. I played him. I played him at Fronticon. He's a, he's yeah. an amazingly nice guy. Very, very strategic player. He he I I, yeah. I lost to him and he didn't lose a single unit because I timed out. Um but he's that kind of a player. <laughs> so. Yeah. And wow, okay. And then we've got Paul Brown, Kyle Peach, and Taz Stacy, who uh didn't did he? He tied. Yeah, that's right, because he he, uh, he responded to my slag of him in the last podcast by saying, didn't lose, you know, suck on it. <laughs> and Joey Greek uh, ring out, uh, round out the top 10. Oh, it's good to see Joey's dice have stopped hating him because I think he had a run of really terrible luck on UB for a while, like just shockingly bad dice consistently for like a few games. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you look, I mean, realistically, a loss is going to, in this kind of tournament, is going to put you out of the running, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, between 1st and 20th, there's only a spread of 13 points. So. Oh, no, wait. Know, I didn't lose a single a... unit. I got that wrong. So he beat me and I didn't lose a single unit. That sounded much worse than it was. 
that's why that's the kind of <laughs> like, uh... he lost loads of units <laughs> i didn't lose any units but he still won right good good story thanks Steve. thanks man Interesting i am not story editing that out louis sarah guys uh oh, forget it <laughs> all right Paige. i'm in charge of editing and you're being shown up yeah, it's just normal <laughs> Paige, do you want to take us out mate all right until next time keep counter charging thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on counter charge Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 